0: Join me in prayer, please, Father. Again, we come to you, rejoicing in the grace that you have poured out on us, the mercy that you have shown us, and as we open your Word, we ask, Lord, that you would instruct us this morning through your Holy Spirit in us and 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 leading us, uh, causing our eyes to be opened, our ears to be opened, uh, to hear and 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 see and read your Word together, and to share. What it means to us. Thank you, Lord, for this again opportunity to worship today. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, it's going to take me a second maybe to get to some of the scriptures that we're looking at. Uh, We'll be looking at Exodus uh, chapter 2 and Acts chapter 7 this morning. Uh, but I just want to start off with this overall picture. If you'll recall, we've been working uh, in Romans chapter 12. In verse 8, it talks about having leader, a leader. to. If you're going to lead, if you have the gift of leading, and, and it even says, lead with zeal. I think that's an interesting way of, of putting it. Uh, the idea to lead that is here. In, in Romans, is the idea to oversee. Uh, it's often used in the New Testament to describe elders. It's a person who has been called to lead in a particular situation over a particular group of people. And uh, to do it with zeal uh, actually means to do it in a timely way. I, was, I didn't catch that ever before in that word, but that's one of the, the phrases that goes with it, in a timely way. But also the idea is with speed, meaning you, you see the job, you go, you know, God calls, you don't sit there and have to say, well, now, you know, <laughs> the idea is, is you get to it, eagerness, diligence, moving forward, all those have to do with this idea of zeal. Now, again, we're talking about the gift of leader, uh, the gift of leadership. And once again, I'm going to preface this with the fact that we are all called to lead at some point. Now, the verse that that we're talking about here is where God puts them into a position where literally they are going to be leading groups of people, over people. Uh, Again, most often used uh, in, in connection with the elders when it's talked about in the New Testament. But every one of us in here has been called to lead. If you're a parent, you've been called to lead. You lead your family. In fact, that's one of the things that qualifies a person to lead in the church is how he leads his family. So, leading our family is an important aspect. And we're called to do it in a particular way. And there are certain things the Scripture gives us as instruction to do that. Uh, If you uh, get involved in any kind of children's ministry, you are now leading. Not just teaching, you're also leading. Uh, The idea of of, uh, leadership uh, as far as where you work. If you're a supervisor in any capacity, you're a leader. You see, there's all sorts of aspects to to leader. And so much of what I will share with you today, while it may have to do with the particular person I'm looking at that we're going to look at out of Scripture as a leader, um, there are aspects of it that apply to all of us. Uh, as you look around in the sense of leadership and, and especially with, if you've got that idea of that zealous leader, the person who sees something and just needs to go after and get it done, sometimes we actually can get caught up with the zeal of leading in such a way that you actually get ahead of God. So there needs to be a balance there and so there's always a sense of caution as well now, not all, all the, and again, that's why it's so important that the, the gifts of God work in harmony. Uh, where one gets all excited to, to go and, and, and needs maybe just a little bit of, of something to hold back. That will be maybe someone other's gift that, of discernment, of timing, this type of thing. You see, all of it working together. But we can get ahead of God in doing things. Uh, You see the need, you, you attack the problem, and you're surprised when people don't get it. You're surprised when they don't follow. It's so obvious. And sometimes it's because we haven't done the groundwork to make it obvious. Sometimes it's because we're simply moving ahead of God's timing, too. And that is easy to do. And it's easy to do in so many different ways. I find myself frequently... A step ahead of God, meaning I've already figured out what needs to be done and then realize that it's not quite the way it needs to be done and maybe the timing is off as well. Uh, So this idea is it's easy to get ahead. But like I said, the biggest thing is then you you stand back and you you look around and you're surprised that there's nobody following you. You know, It's so obvious to you. So uh, there's aspects of all of this that come together in what I'm going to share with you this morning uh, and part of it is is that we tend to forget one of the key elements of serving God and i and this is I don't know why I've looked all over the place and I, and and I don't so very few times have I seen any leadership instruction. remember to pull this verse in, but I think it's really important, and that's Zechariah chapter four verse six, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts. What that means is that as much strength as I have to put into something, as much enthusiasm as I have to put into something, as much interest as I have to put into something, uh, if I'm not doing it in the Spirit of God, in His Spirit, and in His strength, then I'm not doing it in the right way doesn't mean something good can't happen out of, you know, it just, it, it just means it's not going to be what God would have. And so, uh, uh, it's not by my, my might, not by my power, but by in, 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 by, in this case, by God's spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now, interestingly enough, Moses had to learn this. And so this is where I want to pick up this morning in the life of Moses. Uh, Bear with me in in sharing sometimes uh, some obvious story matter that we all know well. Uh, Moses is one of those people, the people of the Bible that uh, lots and lots of people know something about, but even if they've never read the Bible, uh, they've maybe seen Charlton Heston and did a good job at... Being Moses, along with Cecil B. DeMille, and all the filming that went on. By the way, it was that it's a spectacular movie and not too far off a of schedule. Uh, it's worth watching any time, and so uh, I, I don't. Uh, I'm saying that that's there, but but it's because that's been around so long, and books about Moses and stories of Moses, even going back before then. Our culture has an asset access to it. They may know about Moses and not know anything about the Bible, but. Uh, where I'm going to pick up here is in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. And uh, the, uh, well, actually, I, I, I just will punt backwards just to verse 10 just for a minute. Uh, after the, the daughter of Pharaoh had found Moses in the stream, had her, her servant go and get her out, uh, get him out, <laughs> and, and you know, she opens the basket and all that and sees that he is a, a, a Hebrew child. Uh, and, and uh, rescues him, if you will. By the way, I want you to be aware. You understand the edict that the, the Pharaoh had passed was that all the male children were to be killed because they, the, the Hebrews were getting too populous. And he was afraid if of, of there was ever an enemy that would attack Egypt, that the Jews would rise up from within and uh, join the, the, the fight. And that would have been a major catastrophe because they were so numerous. So they thought, well, we'll cut the population back. Pharaoh's daughter is aware of this. She therefore is aware of who she's pulling out of the water. Okay, just so, you know, there's a little bit of rebellion going on here. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, when the child, verse 10, actually going backwards just a second here, when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and and, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. The person who brought him to her at this point when he grew up even though she pulled him out at the point of a baby was his nanny the the person who she gave him to to nurse him and get him past that stage into his his, his early childhood stage, his toddler stage you know and and it just happened to be that his sister was the one able to follow the basket and, and as a result when she was asked to go find a nanny, she said, no problem, got the real mom. And and so Moses' mom was that influence there. And so she brings him to Pharaoh's daughter and and she raises him. And then it says in verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, we don't get a lot about his childhood or anything here, he went out to his people and and uh, looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked his way this way and that, and seeing no one, he no one he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, the two the two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the the thing is known. What thing? The fact he did an Egyptian in. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. Now, I'm not going to go any further with that story at this point. Uh, the thing I want to focus on is is that what happened right here initially. He's an adult male. He has been raised in Pharaoh's court. And yet, when he goes out, it says he goes out to see his people. That tells you that Moses knew who he was. He knew that he was Jewish. He, you know, he knew that he was a Hebrew. He knew that... That that these were his people, and he's identifying with them. As to ex- exactly how much he had, had the chance to identify with them, uh, is is left up to to some very more legend type things than there are historical evidences. But the reality is is that he went out to his people, and he looked and be, uh, he looked on their burdens. He literally beheld. And the idea of this word is to the point of identifying with. In other words, he looked on the people and their burdens. He identified himself with them. So there's a sense of compassion here. Uh, and, and what was their burden? Slavery. You know, basically, that was the thing that you know, he would be looking at, that they were subject to whatever the Egyptian people, uh, uh, leaders, and rulers put on them. And so, what does it happen?s He sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Moses intervenes, and he strikes down the Egyptian. Now we know that he killed him, because of for sure because of what has said following this. But you know the fact that he hit him in the sand is a good indicator. Uh, you know he killed him. But the thing that was interesting to me was. Before he intervened, do you notice what he did? He looked this way and that way before he intervened. He wanted to make sure that he was, even though he was going to intervene, even though he was doing this because of his compassion uh, for the Hebrew people and everything else, he also, I think, was being weary of his relationship with Pharaoh and not wanting to interrupt that in any way because he might need that at some point still. And so he's checking out the 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 the, the, the if, if the coast is clear, so to speak, and he intervenes and he kills the Egyptian. And then, of course, the next day goes to take care of uh, of the situation between two Hebrew fi- people wrestling or fighting with each other. The person who was the one in the wrong, you know, all put there together. And 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 the man's response was. Who put you in charge, basically? Who put you in charge? What makes you allowed to have authority over me? And are you going to kill me too? And of course, now Moses is afraid. He's been seen. He knows that if one person has seen it, who knows who else has seen it? Who knows who told Pharaoh? But Pharaoh knows and sought to kill Moses. So, what does Moses do? He flees Egypt. He goes to Midian. Midian's a desert wilderness area. Nomadic. Pretty easy place to get lost among the nomadic people. And that's exactly what he did. Okay, that's the basic story. Okay, but I want to also read an accounting of this given by Stephen. Stephen. Now Stephen was was uh, uh, or you know some Stephen, Stephen uh, was was the first disciple to be a, taken by the Sanhedrin and executed for declaring his faith. So he's the first martyr that we have a record of, and this is where we get the picture. If you read through the whole story. Uh, into chapter 8, where Paul is right there and giving hearty approval to this execution. And uh, so, I'm going to pick up at at verse 20. uh, Again, about Moses. uh, And and, uh, Stephen is, is, is giving an explanation to... Uh, the Sanhedrin of the history of the Hebrew people to show the the, 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 the threat of Christ and, and, and His uh, sacrifice and all that goes through that. So he's in the midst of talking about the history of, it, of, of the Hebrew people to the Sanhedrin. And he he, puts, he points to this time of Moses's life. At this time, Moses was born and he was a beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed... Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, as we read this, we get some new information. And it's interesting that that, that, uh, it's pretty important information. Some of it has to deal with what what happened while he was growing up. Uh, One is that he was instructed in all the wisdom of Egypt. He went to Egyptian school. <laughs> you know, uh, he learned, and, and because of who he was in relation to Pharaoh's court, he would have learned mathematics. He would have learned uh, religious aspects of the, of, the, of, the, of the Pharaoh dynasty and all that stuff and how it comes together and what they worship. Uh, he would have learned uh, uh, how to present himself. He would have also learned how to fight he would have been schooled in, 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 and raised up in a military format uh, as far as uh, his ability to, to uh, serve Pharaoh as a prince. And so he was instructed in all the wisdom in Egypt. By the way, the Pharaoh's court at this point is, is believed to have been uh, the wealthiest area in the world. I want you to grasp that because that shows you that Moses was brought up in a very opulent, if you will, environment. There wasn't anything probably that he could want that he couldn't have as a prince in Pharaoh's court. And then it says very distinctly, he was mighty in his words and his deeds. He was mighty in his words and his deeds. The idea of mighty is is to be strong and and, and present well. His words and his deeds. And the words here are literally the way he speaks. He was mighty in the way he would speak and present himself in court and he was mighty in his deeds. In other words, in the things that he represented Pharaoh in as a, a person growing up, he was mighty. He was a good soldier. He probably fared well in battle in Pharaoh's name. He was looked on with favor because he was mighty in his words and his deeds. All of that is implied by this. Now, we're told here, uh, again, something that we uh, we did pick up in in Exodus was that he goes to visit his brothers. But what we're added to is exactly he was 40 years old and it came into his heart. There was implied in the Exodus thing there was some sense of compassion. But literally here it says it came into his heart to go and visit his people, his brothers, his kinsmen. And again, as it said in in Exodus 2.11, he looked on their burdens. He identified with their burdens. And I can see that as it came into his heart, he could really do that. It was something compassionate going on here. He really is identifying with them, and seeing, you know, uh, Stephen counts this again. Seeing him being wronged, he intercedes. Sees uh, uh, a Hebrew being wrong, he intercedes and kills an Egyptian. Uh, and then it says something that really needs to pay paid attention to. Verse 25. He supposed his brothers would understand something here. That God was giving them salvation by His hand. Whose hand? Moses' He was expecting something. He understood there was something that it came into his heart. I'm convinced that all the way along the line of he's, while he's being schooled in Pharaoh's court, he's not ignorant about the Hebrew faith, and the Hebrew expectation of deliverance and the prayers that were going on. And it came into his heart to identify even closer to it, to intervene. And as he intervened, the very first thing he intervened was he defended a Hebrew person against an Egyptian. And when he did so, he expected that if, you know, basically that this would be the starting point, people would, you know, as he moved in this direction, they would rally around him. And he'd be able to look over his shoulder and say, look, they're following me. He never even got a chance to look over... Well, he got a chance to look over a soldier, but it was the the Egyptians that were following him. And it was to run him out. You know, catch him. You know? And uh, I wonder... uh, he, uh, He had to have been amazingly surprised, extremely disappointed... And overwhelmed and depressed. I'm just reading between the lines at this point because I'm trying to figure out how, how I might feel. Thinking, I'm doing this and they're going to see me as the hand of deliverance and instead, I'm run, I, I have to flee from my life and, uh, and run into the wilderness. Very clearly was not Moses' plan. Now, for me, in the midst of this, is a sense of amazement for me, because I happen to know how the story goes, and so do you. Moses is the right guy. He is the right man for the for the God's going to use. So he wasn't getting it all wrong. There was something in his heart that was stirring that this is, he identified so closely with this. But he had fled to Midian. So Moses thought he was the, 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 the deliverer. He jumps in and takes charge, if you will. And, and, and it, it did come into his heart. But it wasn't God's timing. You didn't hear God's call in the midst of this, made mentioned of. He was acting in his own strength, and the Hebrews did not see him as their ruler or their judge or their deliverer. So forty years in Midian, serving his father-in-law, he gets married. He said he had two sons. I will let you know that they also got married. Uh, I think most of you know the story anyway. And, and what did he do for 40 years? It makes it clear that he tended the flocks. But it never says he tended his own flocks. It always refers to the flocks of his father-in-law. So he worked for his father-in-law, and he was a sheep herdsman. Now, from prince to, 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 to you know, non-owner sheep herdsman. From opulent court to tents. This is where Moses goes in his life. Well, during this 40 years, Pharaoh dies. The Hebrew, the Hebrew people continue to cry out to, for God's deliverance. And according to Exodus chapter 2.24, God hears their cry. He remembers the covenant with Abraham. It says in in verse 25, uh, God sees them and he knows their condition. What I'd like to do is to go back to Exodus and just quickly pick this up in chapter 3. And I'm not going to read all of this because we know most of the story. But, you know, God gets Moses' attention. Burning bush, all that stuff. He explains what he sees in Egypt and he's ready to deliver them from bondage. This is what God explains to Moses at the burning bush. And then in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, Come, I will send you, Moses. You will bring my children out of Egypt. So Moses says in verse 11, Who am I to do this? Implied. I believe, reading between the lines, knowing what I know from chapter 2 and from Acts 7, already tried that. When I had some power. When I had some authority. Now I'm a sheep herder of my father-in-law's sheep. Who am I? I have nothing. Who would listen to me now? God says, but I will be with you. Now, this is important. God says, I will be with you. Well, if I tell them you sent me, they're going to ask me what your name is. What do I tell them? Well, I didn't give them anything startling new. It was what it's always been. I am that I am. Tell them I am sent you. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sent you. Okay? And then in in verse seventeen he says, I promise I will bring you up out of Egypt. So, he said, I will be with you. And now he says, I will bring you up out of Egypt to Canaan. They will listen. Verse 18. I will give you favor with them. Verse 21. Verse 22. Verse 22. Call it, you will collect spoils of victory, as if you know you know you'll actually pick up plunder when you leave Egypt, as if you had defeated them with a huge army, gold and silver. Exodus chapter four. Moses comes up with a third point, but. They won't believe me or listen to me. They'll say, your Lord didn't appear, appear to you. He's already experienced the, the lack of them understanding. Him. Remember, he, they didn't understand. They, I suppose they wouldn't, they didn't. They're not going to believe me. They won't believe that you appeared to me. Moses, God says, okay, we'll take care of that. Takes the things at hand. God's great at that. Have you ever noticed that? He can use anything and He just takes it. Okay, well, use your staff, we'll use your hand, you know, and, and, and some water here. And, and, and these, well, there's three things that we can show. One is your staff, snake, all that, we went with that. Hand, leopard, le- given leprosy, puts it in his cloak, pulls it out, and it's healed again. And, and then the third thing was the water turned to blood. In other words, he was going to work through Moses and do signs and wonders. I will be with you. I will bring you up out of Egypt and and into Canaan. And I will do signs and wonders through you. Moses, verse 10. Oh Lord, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Now, you've got to compare this to Acts 7.22. I'm sorry, I do not go into this. Moses stuttered. And I am blown away at how common that still is. I even found an article that shows a a diagram of a guy's mouth and throat and what Moses probably had. He was mighty in Pharaoh's courts with his words and with his deeds. Some say, well, at some point Pharaoh tested him and he picked the wrong thing. He, He was told, pick gold. Bowl or a ball of, of, of fire, you know, when he was when he was young, you know, and, and an angel directed him so that if he had picked the bowl, the pharaoh would have said, Ah, he's dangerous. Uh, he he'll, he's too energetic, you know. The angel directed him. He touched the coal, and, and, and it, it seared his fingers. And he put a finger in his mouth and seared his tongue, and it created a, a lifting problem. People get very creative with this. I'm sorry. I I think I've got a clear picture here. He was a man of words and deeds at the at the time that he was in Pharaoh's court. He was known for this. What is he saying then? I'm not eloquent. I I, I'm a shepherd in shepherd's clothing. I used to be a prince in in prince clothing, and it didn't work. I'm a shepherd in shepherd's clothing. Who's going to listen to me? Slow of speech and tongue. Uh, You know, it it can be somewhat poetic. It can be somewhat metaphorical here. But but the idea is, you know, he's coming from the wilderness after 40 years of being a shepherd. He's the country bumpkin for sure. I mean, he's just looking. He's saying, I'm not the guy to do this. God had already promised his presence, his company, his success on his mission and miraculous power. And, And Moses is over saying, but I, 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 I can't do this. That's really basically what he's saying. God's response? Who gave man his mouth? Who gave man his speech? Who gave man his sight? I'll help you. I'll teach you. <laughs> I love it. You know, I will be with you. I will lead you. I will take you out of Egypt. I will give you signs and wonders. I will help you. I will teach you. What's to say? Verse 13. Oh, my Lord, please. Literally, I pray. I beseech you. Send someone else. I don't want to go. And it's funny because the only thing I could think of... Uh, yeah, I don't think of songs that tie to things. And the only one that plugged in here was, please, Mr. Custer, I don't want to go. You know... You know, there's an angel, or, you know, at this point, there's an Egyptian waiting out there, waiting to part my hair, you know, I, instead of an Indian, you know. Uh, the idea was, was that he didn't want to go. He was not welcome in Egypt, and he knows it. And it's Pharaoh's son that's in, the, in charge, so, you know, why should. But God has given him all these things. Then, <laughs> I like this the Lord was angry with him. I thought, why now? It's because Moses finally got to the crux of this thing. I'm not willing to go. Last argument is answered. He says, I'll send Aaron with you. He'll be your mouthpiece. You'll tell him what to say. He'll speak for you. And he'll do everything according to your instructions. Get going. God took the option actually away, sent him. We all know what happened. It was a great success. Wasn't easy. And it got harder as it went along. So I, I I summarize what happened here. Forty-year-old Moses, his plan, his time, his strength, and it failed. Eighty-year-old Moses, self-confidence is shot. He, he he can't see himself as a leader or a deliverer of anything. His shepherd appearance is not for Egyptian court. Forty years speaking to family and sheep, no longer court material. (laughs) Basically, you know. Uh, and, And I tried, I failed, now I can't. Please, just leave me here in this wilderness. This is my home now. While God waited for the perfect time to go after Pharaoh and deliver his people, Moses was actually in the crucible. He was actually being... He was actually in the refiner's fire all of this time. His first 40 years, he was trained as a man could be trained and like no other man would be trained as far as his strength, his skills, his words, his uh, battle abilities, all of this. He saw with his heart the work of God needing to be done, but he saw himself as the one doing it. And it failed. And he fled. Now, 40 years in the wilderness, he doesn't even appear to have been thinking much about his brothers anymore. It doesn't say anything about it. At least not as one who was going to do anything about it. Now God reveals himself. Now God shows him the need. Now God calls Moses in his To lead and do the impossible. And now, by the way, it's also God's time, God's plan. I will be with you. I promise. I will bring you up out of Egypt. I will strengthen you. I will teach you. I will give you signs and wonders to perform. Pharaoh will finally bend. You will leave Egypt as victorious conquerors with the plunder, silver and gold. And all this. And I will even be with your mouth and I will teach you what to say. Everything Moses needed to be a successful leader now, God was going to provide. Not Moses. Think about it. What did Moses provide? God said, I'll be here, I'll teach you even what to say. I'll be in you, I'll be with you. And it took me back to, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This is the truth in all of God's work. Including my, your salvation. And everything that God actually does. It's not by man's power. It's not by man's strength. It's by His Spirit. By His strength. By His plan. In His timing. If it had been by my grandmother's timing, I would have been saved when I was born. Certainly by the time I was seven. I was baptized in the Methodist church when I was uh, just a few weeks old. There was a lot of hope going with that. My grandmother that was so concerned about me that I knew face-to-face so much about it and and, and took me to church when she could and all that never lived to see my my day of salvation here. But since I know they rejoice in heaven, I'm confident that she was in on that. But at a particular point in time, in the least likely way I would have ever expected it, I sat down and heard the gospel when I'd already determined never to listen to it again. And it opened the door and it changed my life. It wasn't my plan. My plan was to not hear it. And still God did it. So, this is the way God works it all. By His Spirit. By His timing. His strength. His plan. Our salvation is by Him, because of Him, and for Him. And is in all things, in His perfect timing. And it says absolutely clearly in Scripture that at the exact perfect time He sent His Son. Period. People have looked backwards and forwards and said, I could have thought of a better time or a better place or a better way. God, in His perfect timing, in His strength, in His way, sent His Son. And that brings us to communion. I would ask the ushers to come, pass the emblems out, hold them until we've all been served, and we'll share together.
1: Here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as a flood. When the prince of life are ransom shed for us his precious blood, who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise. Can never be forgotten Through our hands eternal days And on the mount of crucifixion Fountains open deep and wide Thank
0: Sanctified me. Thy thou self has set me free. Not me. Not anything that I bring to it. Nothing of mine it is Christ and Christ alone. I don't know about you, but in my life, this is still the hardest lesson to deal with. To rest and wait on God number one. And number two, to accept the furnace. I think of the way, I um, uh, can't think of his name now, but uh, he wrote a book called On the Anvil. Somebody will think of his name. And uh, the idea is it's, it's, it's three aspects of, of being re- reshaped. And the idea of going through the fire and being put on the anvil and hammered to become what God wants you to be uh, requires things that we normally wouldn't volunteer to, to go through. And uh, a lot of times you find yourself sitting back and wondering, why this? Why now? Or why me? But the reality is, is that God is in sovereignty. Knows exactly when, where, and what to do. Just as He knew how to save us, He knows how to put it all else together. And I was thinking the other day, if I trust Him for something as massive as my salvation. (laughs) Why can't I trust Him for something as insignificant as my day-to-day needs? In comparison, think about it. And I do trust Him with my salvation because I know what He did. He came in the flesh. And that night at the the dinner with His disciples, the night that He was betrayed the night before His crucifixion, he, He used the bread as that perfect picture after giving thanks and breaking it Giving to the disciples, said, this is my body broken for you. So often as you share this together, do it in remembrance of me. And he took the cup. Just used simple words. This is my blood poured out. Period. Someone that that's what how the covenant's being purchased. My blood poured out. Everybody knew from a Jewish point of view what that meant. Life is in the blood. Something's going to die. He's saying, it's my blood. He's saying, I'm going to die. To purchase the covenant of grace. he asked us as often as we would do this to do it in remembrance of him. Father, I do know that every time we take communion, one of the things we're acknowledging is that we trust you with our salvation. We're saying, God, we know this is what you have done. Thank you for your mercy, your grace, the covering of our, of our, of our sinful lives in the sense that our sin is, is paid for in full. that the, the, the debt is, is finished. It's all done. And it's not done by anything that we have done, but by everything you have done. And as we rest in that, help that to just overspill into everything else to give us that confidence that you and your sovereignty know exactly what needs to happen and when. And make us willing to sometimes wait, sometimes to have that zeal and just step forward and do, but always seeking to hear your voice in the process. And Lord, I know because of our imperfection, we need each other to help in that. Cause us to, to seek and to know our gifts in such a way that we are encouraging the body as a whole and moving together in our worship, in our praise, in our opening Your Word and seeking You, and just in each and every one of us where we are in our walk with You, knowing that we can encourage each other to take another step and draw a little bit closer. Thank You for Your love for us. We rest in Your grace. We rest in You. We rest in Your love. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.